All right, this is uh, episode two. Thank you for anybody who watched, or I guess I should say listened, to episode one. Again, my name is Joe Loudguy, and this is Sociable Socialism. And, uh, pleasure having everyone back. I am looking to explain today uh, what it is that... where being on the left comes from. Why, why we're here. Uh, I talked about this a little bit in the first episode, and I should have released it about a week earlier. I recorded it and then sat on it. Uh, admittedly, uh, it wasn't as fresh of a topic as uh, it was when I recorded it. Not completely unfresh, but still. Uh, at this point now, we've all moved on to that kid from Harvard who isn't going to Harvard anymore. Everyone's freaking out about that, by the way, on a side note. I don't really want to dedicate a whole time to this, but as just a side note, he's freaking lucky he's not going to Harvard because there is no better place to kill your creativity than that snobbish, disgusting, decadent institution. My God. Like, why is everyone freaking out? I swear to God. I mean, uh, this will be tangentially related to a, to a minor thing I'm going to touch on and maybe a broader point if I continue to see examples of it in the popular discourse. But suffice it to say, I, I find the, the anti-left left push uh, that you see out of people like Kim Iverson, and uh, I don't know if Jimmy Dore spoke on this, or Michael Tracy, admittedly, but they oftentimes uh, occupy positions that I would describe as alt-left. Uh, assuming that they have not said anything or have just stayed away from this issue, because it's really not that fucking important. Uh, let me just say this, to the Kim Iverson point about being embarrassed to be on the left because the left supports this kid not going to Harvard because he said the N-word when he was 16. This issue matters all of about nothing. And any and all challenge you put to this issue, any point you make about this issue that isn't couched under the idea that it's wrong for Harvard to have this much control over who attends their university in the first place because it's an elitist, oligarch-based institution is not a left argument. It's a dumb argument. So just stop yourself right there, because the right wing is the only one who desperately wants to be able to say the N-word. That's their, uh, what is the word, bellyweather? Uh, whatever the, the, that's their issue. <laughs> that's what they love, is to be able to be racist in public. So if you claim to be on the left, and you're like, well, I would never say it, but I appreciate free speech and the ability of someone to grow, and yeah, blah, 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 blah. shut up. Shut up. This doesn't matter. This isn't an assault on free speech. This is a kid who got denied for a bullshit reason to Harvard. Like, I'm sure the tens of thousands of other kids that have been denied access to Harvard. Because Harvard is bullshit. So just stop with the whole boohooing about this. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. Everybody's saying that this could potentially ruin his life. Again, if not going to Harvard ruins your life, I don't know what to tell you other than that your life wasn't going to turn out that well in the first place. Harvard is a institution that is, I think, most famous for producing elites and for people dropping out of it to go on to make lots of money. 
That's what Harvard is most famous for, is its failure to pass people that actually make things that matter in society. And we can talk about the companies that they created and how they should be better regulated, broken up, and given to their workers at another time, because they're really just owned by predatory capitalists. But that's, again, this was all tangent anyway. Uh, ultimately, I find this entire discussion to just be ridiculous. Anyone occupying a position that claims to be on the left that's boohooing about this kid needs to direct their criticism at the very institutions that this kid was trying to get into, not at the left. Uh, and uh, again, I I'll maybe broaden this into a series of topics that stretches a couple episodes with the alt-left, these people that uh, claim to be left, but their big uh, issue is social justice warriors, free speech. Again, Michael Tracy... Uh, Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore. And Glenn Greenwald, of course, a lot of people go, how dare you? He's the one that broke the Edward Snowden story. Look, man, it's not about what you did. It's about what you've done lately. And Greenwald has done some really bad takes lately, some really uncharitable takes that do nothing but give cover to fascists. And that's just a fact. And if that upsets you, take it up with him. I don't understand why he's having these bad takes. I don't. I don't get it. But... It is what it is. Greenwald and uh, the rest of that gang, for whatever reason, they think they're being leftier than thou, not occupying like a socialist perspective, which I consider to be actual left. Is anybody who's some form of socialist, communist, anarcho-syndicalist, whatever you, ha you want to have it as, I don't really have a dedicated ideology. I'm more policy related. It's if it works, I'm for it. And, of course, a lot of people will go, well, we haven't really tested a lot of socialist policies. Some of them are theory. Others are micro policies we've seen success with, but we've never been able to make them on a macro scale because if we had, you know, you'd see it. Uh, and I get that. But I think that if the micro is any indication, it's very encouraging. Uh, and you look at the Mondragon experiment, uh, which, well, it's a corporation, a, a co-op in Spain, but I would call that as a giant uh, experiment in socialism and what would happen with a worker-owned business. And I find that to be an exceptionally encouraging uh, institution where 13% uh, is the uh, only different or 13 times is the only difference in pay between the lowest paid employee and the highest paid as opposed to the 300 times that we have in this country between the CEOs and I'm assuming janitorial staff uh, as the norm in most companies. Anyway, that was a huge aside. Welcome to Sociable Socialism, uh, episode two. So yeah, and uh, this was going to be more of an episode about me. Uh, I touched on this a little bit last time, but about what I view as sort of the uh, left goal and uh, our broader pro po project, our broader uh, policy goals. Uh, for me, uh, the goal is to lower the level of human suffering to as much as is possible. I think it's a pretty simple, succinct way of thinking about what it is that we are trying to do uh, here uh, in this world. Uh, we want to improve the lives of everyone to the extent that it is possible. Obviously, you can't erase all suffering. I don't think anyone would ever propose that that's possible. Uh, I, I don't know what, what kind of a proposal that would even look like. It sounds insane because, again, it's not, it's not possible. But we would try to eliminate suffering that is eliminatable, things like dying of cancer. That's pretty uncontroversial. 
I think there are plenty of capitalists who would agree that we should cure cancer. But of course, the difference is that they would charge you an arm and a leg for it, whereas we would just sort of advocate to make it free, you know, at the point of service. We, we want socialized medicine for this reason. We don't want to have to deal with people going bankrupt just to heal themselves when they're sick. Uh, so that is sort of why we have the opinions that we do on the left, at least insofar as I've ever experienced anyone uh, who's on the left, is you want to eliminate human suffering to the extent that it is eliminatable. And uh, there are different ways you can go about that. Uh, different policies you can focus on, uh, different issues that you can make your issue, whether it's the environment, whether it's uh, human rights, healthcare, all of these things uh, certainly can bleed into one another. And to a larger extent, you could even argue that they're kind of the same issue because they are all interwoven into how our society operates. The reason why they don't get treated to the degree that they do, is because we don't have a kindness-oriented society. We don't have a society that works on what I said earlier, which is that our goal here on the left is to uh, decrease or eliminate the amount of human suffering to the extent that it is possible. So uh, you look at our world and ask yourself, is that what we're seeing in the, in the world today? Is that what our elected officials, is that their goal is to eliminate human suffering, because if it is, they have a funny way of not doing it, um, ever. <laughs> they, they, they prioritize their own wealth and well-being uh, by appealing to the oligarchy, uh, the wealthy billionaire and millionaire class that more or less runs the world, the global elite. And they take their money, and in exchange, they direct policy for our government towards them in, in favorable ways. Now, personally speaking, I am not sure what we need to do about money writ large. I don't know if, there, if I've had a good convincing answer to what a world without money would look like. Uh, I think that the discussion about UBI, to an extent, from a left perspective, not from Andrew Yang's perspective, which is like a libertarian outlook, um, I think from a left perspective, the discussion on UBI actually could be extrapolated to be uh, a discussion about where we go with money. Because if we accept that money is necessary, or at the very least is a useful commodity to have uh, as just a means of doing like transactions, like, you know, coupons in a Chuck E. Cheese, you know, but for like life. Uh, if we accept that that is uh, the role money is going to play even in a socialist world, I guess, again, I, I'm not sure if it's something that we should eliminate altogether or if it's something that if we choose to maintain, we'd have to change. But if we choose to maintain it, I see UBI as a necessity just because I don't see how you can have uh, a, an elimination of, of uh, human suffering. I don't see if you, how you can do that without simultaneously taking on uh, rampant poverty. Uh, and the only way to do that, from what I can see, is besides social services, would also be UBI. Because, again, you're using money as a way to purchase commodities. Because it isn't just about things that are necessary. Like, again, social services, making sure that you get health care, the army, etc. It's also about 
making sure that like uh, FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Like I would consider it to be human suffering if you were allowed to live, but you weren't allowed to have access to the internet or cell phones or any of that. And everyone else did because you'd be at a permanent handicap and disadvantage. I don't think anybody would agree with that. Uh, they, they would say that is cruel to leave that one person out and expect them to keep up with the rest of us. That's not fair. That's unequal footing. So that's why, again, Wi-Fi, for instance, a lot of people on the left argue this should be a public utility. And I think that's a very good argument. I agree with that argument. It should be a public utility. But uh, on a broader point, this sort of goes to what it is that we want to do. Why do we focus on this from a socialist perspective? Why not from a capitalist perspective, you know? Why, why is it that the goal of eliminating human suffering results in us being on the left as opposed to on the right? Well, that's because the right wing, to the extent that their ideology can really be delineated because it is really tribalism at the end of the day. Uh, it's, it's based around uh, fear and uh, loathing and oppression and hierarchy. Uh, it's really just tribalism. But to the extent that you can delineate what it is that they want, it's really just the simple, there must be a class of society to which the law does not apply, uh, but it does protect. And there must be a class of society that the law applies to, but does not protect. And that's just the, the nature of what their ideology is. There must be inequality of some sort. You know, whether it's racial inequality, economic inequality, and often those are interlinked, uh, that is what they push for. And, of course, they would argue against that. They would say what their goal is uh, is the exact opposite. It is to eliminate human suffering by giving everyone the power. And they would give you some trite about equal opportunity, the greatness of this country, capitalism is the greatest in, you know, engine for human ingenuity. All of that's crap. <laughs> All of it is just a bunch of gobbledygook. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. They would, the, the argument that this country uh, wouldn't exist without capitalism uh, is a double-edged sword for them, but they make it every single time. They, they forget to acknowledge the fact that, yes, slavery wouldn't have existed without capitalism. Sorry to say. Now, they would, of course, go, no, 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 no. That wasn't capitalism. That wasn't capitalism. I've never heard a convincing argument as to why it's not. I studied economics in college, uh, and I remember the professor I took at that time, Rustici, mentioned that uh, there could be an argument to be made amongst the libertarian right that everything, that all markets are like equally valid because they don't place value judgments. They don't place an ethical judgment. It's all just numbers to them, right? So there could be an argument that, uh, and this is why they're, they're so big on free trade on the right, is they don't think that putting laws in place to restrict the trade of a good or a commodity makes any sense uh, because somebody's going to pay X amount for it or they're going to pay Y amount for it. You know, if you put your laws in the way, they'll have to pay Y instead of X, but they're still going to pay for it. They'll, they'll, they'll do whatever they have to to get it if they really want it. And so their argument is, is there a value in making it harder for them to get it? Now, a little bit, the more moderate right will say, yeah, there's a value in making it harder for, let's say, a terrorist to get a nuclear bomb. You know, there, there is an argument to be made there that they will get. But of course, if they thought about it for a second, they'd realize that that very fact that they acknowledge that is proof that 
their ideology is full of crap <laughs> because right there they already have their their proof that that it doesn't go very far before you find a very obvious example uh of where you know a market shouldn't exist you shouldn't have a market for that uh simultaneously what about slaves now again i know that they would love to deny that early america was a function of capitalism but so far as i can see it there was a market for cheap labor they realized that they couldn't get volunteers to come out here and die of disease and heat in a poverty-stricken environment. So in order to build this country up, what'd they do? they kidnap people uh, from uh, their homes on a faraway continent, shipped them here, and then enslaved them based entirely on skin color. All the while, we committed a mass genocide against the people that were already living here. And uh, again, they would say, no, 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 capitalism doesn't place value judgments, we're not in favor of yada yada. Again, they don't talk about this on the right. They don't talk about slavery. They don't talk about uh, the extinction of the Native American, the First Nations people that were here, uh, because it's not an issue they're particularly preoccupied with. And why would they be? Again, as I said, their ideology, to the extent that you can really delineate an ideology from them, is hierarchy. It is a defense of hierarchy. It is a reinforcement of the idea that there should be some on top and there should be those on the bottom. And that's just the way things go. That's what capitalism is at the end of the day. It's a perfect embodiment of that. Those who have money get to spend it on companies and investments and make more money. And those that don't have money... Well, they can work for those people and then they can die. Now, of course, you know, the, the lie they always tell in a defense of capitalism is if you work hard enough, you too can own a company and a business. And that certainly happens. No one denies that it happens. How about the rate at which it happens? How often do you think that is? Do you think it's 10% of the time? 5%? I truly don't know. I would need to see numbers on it. I'd be willing to bet it's less than 1% of the time do people work in a business like a coffee shop or a restaurant and then go on later to own their own restaurant and operate it and become successful doing so. I'd be willing to bet it's less than 1%. Uh, just because it, it, do you have many friends that are waiters right now that have gone on to own their own businesses? Do they have any plans to do so? Where would they get the startup funds to do it? You know, the logistics of achieving that dream is so insurmountable that it seems laughable for me to even suggest it. So, of course it doesn't happen. Not in any kind of real sense. It is just a dream. So, this is their big defense, though, of capitalism. This is what they say is the American dream. You come here, you work hard, you get your fair share, and then you go on and found your own business. What they leave out is the fact that they decide what share is fair. The current capitalists, the people running our society, the oligarchy class, they're the ones who decide what fair is. That level of power and control that they have. And this is what I touched on at the beginning of the episode where any left criticism not couched in a uh, dismissal of Harvard as an institution is just foolish. You're buying into their propaganda. 
And that's the same thing with capitalism. You're buying into their propaganda when you accept the premise on those terms. The idea that they're just for some equal opportunity, everyone gets a fair shot, work hard, yada yada. No, 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 no. We are advocating for a society like that. They are taking that idea, which sounds awesome, and attaching it to the very thing that makes that idea impossible, which is the idea of inherited wealth, the idea of inherited power, that somebody can, by virtue of their birth, as we call it, born into the good sperm club, someone by virtue of their birth can be put ahead of the rest of society. And nobody you know, I'm willing to bet, will deny that such a thing exists, that the Gates children, for instance, are infinitely better off than you will ever be. Now, of course, I brought this up with people about Bill Gates. For whatever reason, there are people who are nominally on the left that love to defend him. I, I, I'll never get it. I'm not going to attack Bill Gates. That would be too much of a tangent even for me, just because we're, we're covering something else. But I really don't understand why anybody worth more than $10 million is somebody you're fighting to defend. Uh, unless they're making an active effort to help the world. Uh, and it just gets exponentially worse the more that number goes up. Every order of magnitude you get above 10 million is um, even more exponential amount of power that you aren't wielding responsibly, let's say. Anyway, the Gates children, they're only going to get a million dollars when their father uh, dies, right? That's what, what the big lie is that he's going to give them a million dollars in inheritance and the rest of it is going to be donated to charity. I mean, first off, what a load of tripe. What a load of crap. Like, do you really believe that $60 billion is just going to, like, appear into society at the end of this man's life because he wants it to be? Are you kidding me? He's admitted on Reddit threads, by the way. Incidentally, his goal is to not die at this point, which commendable, but if he didn't die, then that money would never, ever leave his bank account. So just keep that in mind. Anyway... Um, the idea that those kids are not set for life is just simply crazy. Those kids are, are, are going to get either a million dollars from their dad or billions of dollars from their dad. But the fact of the matter is none of that is as valuable as the fact is he's their fucking dad. Bill Gates is their fucking dad. They don't need to inherit it to be set for life. They don't need it. They already have everything they're ever going to need because he has unbelievable power gifted to him by the nature of his station in life. As this multi-billionaire force, he can get them anything they need to be set for the rest of their life and they would never have to work. They would never have to do anything. Their lives are taken care of by all intents and purposes. Whereas your life, I don't know who you are. You might be a, a barista at Starbucks. You might... Work on a sandwich line at Potbelly. You might be unemployed, you know, as I currently find myself. Uh, so it, it, it really goes without saying that to give capitalists that ground, that it's enough that, oh, no, they, they have good intentions and they created X, Y, and Z, and therefore they deserve to keep a disproportionate amount of power that fundamentally disrupts the very idea of democracy and prevents it from existing and keeps our society massively unequal. That, that just doesn't fly. So this brings us back to where we started, which is that our goal on the left is to eliminate human suffering. How do we do that? Well, the answer is socialism of some form or another. You need wealth redistribution. It cannot stand 
that a man, due to the nature of their birth, has that much power. Now, of course, the counter-argument to this is Bill Gates earned all that money after his birth, not before. And this brings us back to where I started with that criticism of Harvard, because he's one of their famous dropouts. Um, but it doesn't particularly matter uh, whether or not uh, he inherited the wealth to start with. What matters is that the structure of our society allows him to sit on it after it's been generated. That is our problem with it, is that whether you got it at birth or accrued it in life, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because no one man can generate $60 billion worth of value for the rest of society. No one person can put in more than they take out to that degree. It's just not possible. So the only reason he has that money is because other people got shafted along the way. Whether it's his workers, whether it's the people, for example, who worked at Xerox that uh, used the, the interface system uh, with the PC that he uh, stole from Apple, who stole it from Xerox. Uh, it doesn't really matter how you look at it. The point of the matter is that he can disrupt the lives of everyone else due to having this money. That's an injustice that we're fighting to correct. That's something that we want to deal with on the left. We want to make sure that whether it's him or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or the Koch brothers, we want to make sure that these individuals do not get in the way of society, of the rest of us to live our lives relatively as unimpeded and suffering free as possible. And as long as they have that money... It's impossible for us to get around that. See, because having that money, having that ability to... Bill Gates is worth something like $100 billion at this point. He's one of three individuals. I believe I actually saw on Friday, there's three people in that club. The, the guy who runs Louis Vuitton just entered the 100 billionaire club. Cent-a-billion, cent whatever they call it. It's disgusting either way, but point is, is uh, Bill Gates has enough money that if he so desired, he could buy up some countries. And that, that, that is, it's grotesque. It's not democratic. It's fundamentally antithetical to democracy. The Cokes, between the two of them, I believe, have about $100 billion. Uh, Individually, that's something like $60 billion apiece. But between the two of them, uh, they have about $100 billion. And think about how much of a disruptive force in our electoral cycle they are. They are the entire Republican Party's backbone. Them uh, and Foster Freeze and Sheldon Adelson, who bankroll these Republican politicians who don't have any good intentions. They have no desire to help the public. Everything they do is to the benefit of big corporations and then with little nibbles around the edges that help the religious right as a way to keep their voters coming back to them. Uh, but none of that is to, within the popular... Uh, if you look at issue by issue, what it is the American people support, you will not see a single issue the Republicans are for on that list. And that's because... Uh, 
They don't have to support the American people's will. They have more than enough money to win off of a small minority of the American voter, which is something to 20 to 30 percent, which comprises the Republican Party. And uh, a lot of people would hear that and they go, that feels really small. And it's like, you're right. That's because most Americans are independents. And then you've got, again, another 20 or 30 percent that are like avowed Democrats. So it, it is... It is startling that we can have polls that showcase the American people do not support this party that consistently holds power in this country. And it's the direct result of money in politics, the influence of these absurdly wealthy people. So a lot of people have this challenge they put forward of getting money out of politics, like uh, Cenk Uger of the Young Turks founded Wolfpack, which is a pack designed to uh, institute a constitutional amendment to get money out of politics. Now, I support this effort. I, I give money to Wolfpack because I am for the goal. I, 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 I find it laudable. But I also think that it is a half measure because I would rather just take the money from these people. I, I, I would be interested to hear a good argument for why one man is justifiably deserving of a hundred billion dollars when his entire company produced that wealth how many people does microsoft for instance employ that's their wealth they're the ones generating it but bill gates because his he signed his name to the right documents at the right time holds the disproportionate uh fruit of their labor he just is allowed to hold it like some kind of dictator like if you really stop and think about it you would see that it is antithetical to democracy to allow them to decide what is a fair wage because they will always decide a fair wage is where they keep the lion's share for the least amount of input and as long as we have a system that prioritizes the owner class over the working class, that's what you're going to see, is that the owner class will continue to pirate our wealth and invest it in themselves. We have more wealth stratification in this era than we have since the time of the pharaohs. It's gotten so bad. And that's because of this rampant capitalist worship we've had over the last 30 to 40 years, where the Democrats and the Republicans both said, you know, I'm a proud capitalist, but I believe in what, people-focused capitalism or compassionate capitalism, whatever the, the current, you know, weak Democrat, libertarian lie is of the day. Uh, there is no such thing. This is capitalism working as intended. The owners own the voting power. That is something we would need to fundamentally change. And that that is what I am working to change. That is why I am who I am, why I vote the way that I do, why I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter. I want to see a push towards a society that does not prioritize the owning class's needs, but instead prioritizes the working class's needs, because there's a lot more of us. Uh, but again, it, it isn't that I want the owner class to suffer. I don't want uh, the Koch brothers even, well, I don't want them to suffer, but they have inflicted a tremendous amount of suffering on this country. So I do want them to lose their wealth. I don't think that their kids, their billionaire fail sons, 
deserve to inherit their wealth either. Uh, it, it, it goes without saying that if we heavily tax these people so that we could create social services that benefit everyone, it would be fine if they partook of those services. If we create free college for all, fine, the Gates children can take advantage of that. Nobody cares. Let, let them take advantage of it. That's fine. Uh, the point is that their father has that wealth in the first place. We need to get rid of that situation. It, it cannot be allowed to stand. Uh, and I guess I'm dedicating this episode to my young cousins who asked me once uh, why it is that you know, you're a socialist. In fact, the logo for this uh, podcast was taken from one of them. They drew it. Uh, and so I'm dedicating this to you guys so that you might understand me a little bit better and see where I'm coming from, is that I understand that it doesn't sound, it, it, it may not sound exactly like what you're used to at home because it, it I imagine, is not something uh, that your parents talk about a lot. But my goals are nothing but altruism. I, I just want to help others. Uh, I want to live in a world that is just, and as I go on in this podcast, I intend to touch on this issue again uh, because it's a little hard to avoid as it is the underlying root cause of a lot of society's woes is this unequal distribution of wealth. Uh, but I will obviously also go into racial justice, maybe a, a segment on reparations next week. I don't know. Uh, I'd like to keep a, you know, a loose sort of format for now since I am just starting out. Uh, this was episode two of Sociable Socialism. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and have a great week. Uh, Goodbye.